Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Lorb. This is going to be episode 211 with film composer, songwriter, and musician, and returning guest of the podcast, my friend Gil Talmy. We come on the show and we're going to talk a lot about our um, recent collaboration, which is on this really important documentary that's out on Netflix called The Great Hack. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, I highly recommend it. Um, it's an important and it's a very important and very influential film of our time. So we talk quite a bit about just the creation and the, just the, 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 the part of just bringing this film to life and Gil's kind of a process in doing so and using empathy and compassion when thinking about how to build this, the underscore and the underpinnings of the emotions that kind of go throughout the documentary and, and how to do that, how to approach that. Um, we get into some really deep stuff and I, I really love having conversations with Gil because I think we, we do our best to touch on really interesting kind of topics and thoughts and, 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 con- and concepts of our time. And at the same time, trying to weave the thread of understanding who it is that we are as creatives and then why it is that we do what we do. Um, there's a quote that I've been using since our last episode that has really helped me out a lot. And I'm sure helps you if you've ever asked me this question or been looking for it, which is understanding perfectionism and not striving for perfectionism, but looking for excellence and striving for excellence in your life, which has been really great. So we talk a bit about that as well. Um, this has just been a, an, one of those really great episodes where for me, it just feels like 10 minutes had passed and it'd been an hour and a half had gone by. Um, just so many things covered and just such a great flow. So I want to first thank, of course, Gil for coming on this, on the show and sharing his time. And um, I really can't wait to share this with you guys. So here we go. Episode 211. And let's begin. trying to get on Welcome a normal back. sleep sleeping schedule and all that kind of fun stuff you know yeah you're you're still jet lagged and that's quite a time difference yeah ironically when i came back though i was like able to um when i came back i was able to like reset perfectly it was weird i think because i was so tired i just went to sleep kind of early and then i reset so mm-hmm. yeah it worked mm-hmm. out nicely mm-hmm. how about how about yourself um it's been good. You know, I, I was traveling and I'm back here working on some projects, um, uh, enjoying the, the launch of the great hack and, um, you know, it's, a, it's the timing and uh, everything that's happening in the world, in our country. Uh, it seems like it's all launching for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's nice. Like it's a precipice, you know? was like the perfect moment. I mean, cause we've, we've been familiar with this film for how long now? It's been a while. It's been a while. I mean, for me, it's been since, uh, October or November. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember. I'm going to have to look at my files and see when I started working on it. Cause it was like, it was a while ago. Let's see. Um, like when, cause I remember Judy emailing me a while back, um, yeah. And it went way back. I've been familiar with this film way back and she was kind enough to send me kind of an early pass on the film, um, way back when, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was like, 
yeah, it seems like it was late 2019. So it's been a, over a year or mm-hmm. more than a year. I don't know. I can't keep track of time. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's cool though. It's like really nice to see that the world is, is able to, to be educated and influ- in, in, influenced, I guess is the right word. But at the same time, um, they're led into this world that we've been kind of familiar and living uh, for more than a year now. So or mm-hmm. over a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I guess we've, we've eased into the process and the, and the information. It's been interesting to see people's reactions after screenings. Uh, now, you know, that the film is out and, and done and it's, and in its final form, um, it's a lot of information to digest and it's, um, and it's kind of a paradigm shift. I mean, a lot of people who I have spoken to are kind of, you know, in a way shell shocked. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, and, and, and a lot is not being said right after the screening because there's still so much that needs to be processed and the implications of what this means, you know, I mean, I know for me, if I truly, 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 truly let in, uh, what I'm, what I've learned from, from this film, I would have erased all my social media. I would have probably chucked my phone in the, in the East river and you and I would not be having this conversation right now. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's one of the the problems, right? You know, it's like, there's so much of the things that we use with this, that we don't know how vulnerable we are to it. And, and, and it's hard to see that until we kind of were a part of this project, but at the same time, so much of what we do and what we enjoy about this era is the connectivity, um, you know, cause it would be unfortunate for us not to have this conversation, you know, it would, and this conversation is brought to you by technology, you know? So mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. Well, I want to, it's in, so I totally agree with you on this and I, and I am grateful for the part of technology that connects us and at the same time, I wonder, you know, probably without this technology, I would uh, walk down the road in my in my village and talk to Ash, my neighbor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about, um, you know, how my puppy is doing. I don't know. So, th- so sure. Right. I mean, the technology allows us to connect. And I'm so grateful. Half my, you know, I mean, most of my uh family lives on the other side of the planet and without it i would not be able to have continuity with them yeah and at the same time you know it's a we've created this 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 reality that is um synthetic in many ways yeah absolutely when i was growing up um i was really into films i've always been into films and so when I was like really eager and excited to work on films or be a part of films, I knew I wanted to do it very early on. I would have to wait for these Cinefix files, like Cinefix magazines. Mm-hmm. And you had just limited resources with that. Cause you would just have to pour through the pages and, and pull out, extract as much information as possible from those pages. But now with the ability of communicating, we're able to just touch and reach and, and explore and, and interact with one another so much, but that obviously comes at the cost. But I don't know if what I like is better because you're a perfect example of like, well, if we didn't have all this technology, I would just be talking to my neighbor. 
but your neighbor might be great to be around, but at the same time might not align with you as much as say I would be, you know, and that deeper connection that we all just want to have deep connections and communicate and be understood. That's really mm-hmm. what we want in life. I think also to be loved and stuff, but that's all part of communication. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that the great device of this is that it does provide us these amazing situations if used right, but there's a cost with it. And I think, I think a lot of people, myself included before I had watched this, I wasn't, I was aware that my data was being used, but I wasn't aware it was being weaponized the way it was. And I was just kind of a, it was just, um, I mean, I get it. I understand why political parties do this because that's, they're all about power and control and, and their, their agendas and perspectives. And I think in certain capacities, we all kind of are, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it was just like disturbing how much though, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like, okay, all right guys, like this is just very unethical, you know? So, which is, yeah. the, it's an ethics issue more than anything. So I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing, right? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off, cut you off. I was just going to say that one of the things that's so powerful for me about this film is that it, you know, for, for about two hours, you sit down and you're being asked to face the facts just for two hours. Yeah. Because I, I think we're all, you know, I mean, here and there, all of us are a little privy to this data, this, this four letter word data. Right. And, but we, you know, we click on this, we say yes to this, and then we're so busy, we move on with our lives. And, and I just love that in these two hours, um, unless you physically get up <laughs> and yeah. leave, yeah. you're you're really invited to sit down and process and let it in. And it's made in a way that you can. And yeah. that is so powerful. And there's no, you know, there's no return from that. doesn't mean that immediately everything you know, I, I go and erase my the social media on my phone or, you know, all of that. But once you know this, it does shift things. And I and I do feel that uh, once many people watch this and know this, there's there's going to be some some kind of collective consciousness, grassroots movement that's already in place. Uh, and I really, really feel feel in my gut that this film is going to uh, add to the groundswell and give it momentum. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just opening minds. I hope, I think it's the, this is the way I kind of look at it because I kind of relate it to um, like my ability to want to eat more vegetables rather than meat, for example, just because, um, well, if I had a choice, I would just not eat animals anymore because I just really, I love animals. I think they're, for the most part, really beautiful and, and, but they're, but they also taste super good and my body's designed to process them and it makes complete sense for me to enjoy them. So it's kind of difficult, but what I've done after like watching some documentaries and being educated as to just the damage that, um, um, having livestock and stuff, um, on our planet, deforestation and all that kind of stuff, the cause of global warming and all these kind of things, uh, really looking into it, what I decided to do was like, okay, well, I'm going to just maybe eat meat, maybe two days a week maximum. And the rest of my week, I'm going to focus on making vegetable dishes and like learning good, like better ways of cooking vegetables. So I can kind of still feel great. And, and luckily like the impossible burger and beyond burger and all these kind of companies have come out with these incredible substitutions, which have been amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know if you tried those, but I've, I've tried some of them and it's, it's getting, 
it's getting better and better all the time. It's insane. Um, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's- yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've been oscillating pretty much my, my whole adult life between being vegan and mm-hmm. vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Um, right now. That's right. You are. Yeah. yeah I, I, I go back and forth right now. I'm eating meat. Okay. Uh, but I feel I, I kind of listen to my body and it, it kind of, you know, it goes through these cycles and, um, I'm, I'm slowly going back towards vegan after the last two years. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it tastes so great meat and yeah. there's something yeah. very satisfying in it. And I do feel my body absorbing proteins in a certain way when I eat it. Sure. Uh, but I also know that I don't, I don't need it. Right. And there's, there's an addictive quality in it for me. Yeah. yeah. It's, you're right. It's hard for lettuce and carrot to compete with steak. Oh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's 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 a mindset. Yes, uh, and uh, yeah, and it is. It's not sustainable. Um, no, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not. And I think, but I, to the point is that all these inform all that information. What if I hadn't have received it in a in a way that my busy mind can handle, which is like a you know a well edited, well curated and documented piece of art, basically. Then it might be a little bit difficult for me to be like, yeah, whatever. Beyond my ethical issue of eating animals, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But now there, there's more things supporting it. I, I can go like, you know what? I, I'm going to try and just go like the whole week without it. And let's just see. Because I do love um, vegetables and um, vegetables prepared really well can be amazing. So, um, and there's also grains and things like that. So, um, I'm, it's just more or less like after watching this documentary, actually, I, I really, um, almost infinitely just stop my connection to using Facebook directly. Um, mm. everything that I use with Facebook, I just kind of auto populate from other things. So it's just, mm-hmm. kinda, I simply don't give it the, my data or information as much as I used to. So it was kind of, um, it was a way for me to kind of cleanse myself a little bit, but I, I, I agree. I think doing the cold Turkey thing, I don't think is is the reaction that we need either. I think it's just a combination of just a couple of things, you know? So yeah. being aware and, and, you know, like things like I never, I've never done online surveys. Um, I don't like people having that information on me. So, cause I know what it's about. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. maybe people will be more wary of like giving their data out so easily, you know? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's invisible doesn't mean that it can't harm you. You know, so it's like radiation poisoning. I think it's the same kind of thing. And I think that's what Kareem was saying when we were talking about Kareem and Johanna were talking about that. These, these are the directors on our film. They were I think talking about like exhaust and human exhaust, like radiation um, data, seeing data as if it was like coming off of us um, and then, you know, populated and then weaponized against us, which is just like, yeah, be, just because you can't see it. That was one of the big problems, obviously, with like things like Chernobyl or things like that before radiation was really known, its impact on the population. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the same kind of like coming to realization, I think, which is tough. Definitely tough. So, yeah, heavy I love stuff. That ana- <laughs> I, it is heavy. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I mean, first of all, I love that analogy. I mean, yes. That, that makes total sense. Like now is the time where we're waking up to, to what all this means. Yeah. And it is heavy and it is the way I see it, our responsibility to stay awake to it. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I know for myself, I have so much privilege and 
a lot of what that means is that, you know, I grew up in a way where I don't have to look at certain things and how they impact the world. You know, as, as a white man, I'm privileged to do so. And uh, no, I mean, that that time is coming to an end because we're not going to have a planet. Uh, you know, I mean, people are suffering and these are heavy times. And 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 the thing is, times have been heavy for I, the majority of the world population for a very long time. It's just that the first world and especially the white first world is now waking up to it going like, you know, waking up and going, what's going on? Well, this is what's happening, you know? So, um, I think these are really challenging times, uh, very painful times. I am concerned about the short term. I am, I have a lot of faith about the long term. Uh, but I do I do think that right now we're going through some kind of shift that is profound. Um, and, and the way I see it is it's really a battle between, you know, consciousness and, and unconsciousness. And um, the, this film for me is really at the crossroads of that. You know, it's 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 beyond for me, it's beyond uh, Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and our political uh, system, uh, which of course it's about that and it goes deeper. There's, there's a paradigm shift that's happening about how we, uh, our relationship to reality and our value and our worth in it as humans, as individuals and collectively as a society and not just the society of, you know, the people who live right next door and look exactly like us, but this whole ecosystem called planet earth right i mean it's yeah we're at the 11th hour and that's the beauty of the internet too is being able to have that perspective um mm-hmm. and seeing that perspective and being um even if it's just like a, a look at it through like a video screen it's it's actually really good to see that as well and i think to be aware of that as well um that's a tool it's a mechanism um mm-hmm. yeah and i think um yeah i mean it's it's a really it's such a, it's, it is a really important time. And I think it's for everybody too. It's for everybody to share one another's um, empathy and, and, and build empathy for one another and really um, share experiences as much as possible because it is, um, it is so complicated. It is so complicated. And um, it's like, a, it's such an interesting thing where, you know, we're kind of like, created on this planet in the space and time, um, given a certain identity, um, against our thought and our will and our, our choice, uh, gender, mm-hmm. race, uh, location on the planet, you're just kind of luck of the draw. And then you're dealt that card and then you have to figure out well, how to navigate this wild ride of life, you know? So, which is fascinating mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and crazy too. So, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really it's an interesting thing. It was is it was for this documentary in general. It was for me. It was really good to be a part of it, and and uh, it was one of the first times that I felt like deep pride, or not pride, but just like thankfulness to have it, and really pride in sharing it in a sense, mm-hmm. you know. Because I mean, yeah. nothing against what I do for my career, which is working on Hollywood types of films, but um, they only can go so far, I think, you know, and and sometimes we need those escapism things and we need to, to have those in our lives, but they only can give us so much. Whereas this, 
I felt like really gave me, um, a deeper purpose, uh, with yeah. my art, you know? So and yeah. I was wondering what you felt. I'm, cause I know you do that. I watched one of your other films, the one about the arcades. I think the, what was oh, that yeah. one called? Yeah. The last arcade, the last arcade. That's right. Yeah. It was like a really, like a, a kind of a heartfelt experience and I'm not a New Yorker and we, I think we talked briefly about it. So last time I went and watched it after we had talked, I believe. And it was cool. like this heartfelt kind of, it almost felt like to be a New Yorker um, in a sense, you know, cause like yeah. New York is like an, an internet basically for me as an outsider. It's like, Oh, you're living in an internet, you know, like you're living in the internet, you know, like mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. so closely combined with other people and so tightly to could like woven together. Um, I just found it really fascinating, but um, not to segue, but for you when it comes to composing the music, cause I just finished watching part of the film. I didn't, I've saved it cause we're going to go watch it as a family like tomorrow, I think. Yeah. But I, I've, I watched it and it was so great hearing your score and everything come together in the sound. And mm-hmm. it, like it really finished it off because for a while there was a, some temp music, I think, um, mm-hmm. But um, it was really beautiful. Though. I just wanted to comm- commemorate you or um, praise you for it because it was really beautiful. Thank you, yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, and likewise, man, your your work on it is mind blowing. Uh, I I I you know, as far as I know, uh, this this documentary has the most epic opening of any documentary <laughs> in the history of documentaries. It's just. It's it's mind blowing. I got to hand off to my my team, my amazing friends, and yeah, and then thank you to Judy and Pedro for oh yeah, and Kareem and Johanna for letting us do it and taking <laughs> they trusting us because it came to into the wire because it was so much computational power to do it. So yeah, yeah it took an army for sure, and um, I can't take credit for it myself. Um, but I'm very blessed and thankful to have, to have been able to make it. Absolutely. Mm. But I think it, I think the way that you wove the tapestry from the half of the, of the documentary that I watched, I think you did an amazing job of weaving through the emotions because it, it really, there's some really beautiful things happening in the edit on this film. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody that hasn't watched it. And please do yourself a favor if you haven't watched the great hack, uh, and do so. I think it's a very important film. If you use any form of technology, which you're using now to listen to this, mm. which means you probably have a, f- a cell phone, you should listen to this and watch it. You should watch that film. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's some really beautiful moments in there where you're weaving between emotions because it goes all the way from something that's kind of somewhat poppy to deeper kind of like, Oh shit, this is not good kind of moments, which is good. It sways your emotions Mm. Um, a lot, which I think is good. And how do you navigate that as a composer? Cause I know they use some tracks from like, I know that there's a track from Jamie XX in there, which I love his music, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that paired to like deep strings or like orchestral mm-hmm. kind of sounds that you would kind of t- tonally hit. How do you, how do you go about kind of navigating that emotional pulse in the music? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great, a great question. I think, you know, for us film composers, first of all, um, be, before it even gets to music, the word empathy is, is what jumps, you know, em- empathy and compassion to, to have the ability to relate from an emotional 
and dramatic sense to what's happening on on screen and and be and relate and connect right because that needs to be translated into music yeah um I, for me in scoring, you know, and there's a difference between narrative and there's a di- and, and documentary, whereas for narrative film, oftentimes there's much more um, poetic or creative license to push, push harder and, and, and really help, you know, uh, f- help the audience feel uh, the emotions to the point of in extreme cl- places really manipulate. Um but in a documentary film, if you push too hard, you lose the audience, right? Because no one wants to be told how to feel or what to feel, especially when it's about a, a socially conscious topic that is so profound and sensitive. Yeah. And so the music has to be an invitation. And the music has to be a lot more about question than answers. Uh, because this this documentary is not about... Um, bombarding with just information right this this is about connecting us to the human aspect right Brittany's character and that part of us that connects to all of us being capable of making right and wrong decisions and even changing throughout the process so there's a very deeply human story and if the music says well now you have to feel like this or now you have to feel like that then the majority of the audience says, well, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. As opposed to inviting them in. So that's, first of all, in in a zoomed out level as far as how I I approach uh, scoring films and and in particular documentaries. Mm. And then, you know, I had a fantastic collaboration with the filmmakers. I mean, Pedro and Jahan, uh, I mean, Kareem and Jahan are just genius in what they do. Uh, all their films uh, and uh, you know they I think part of their genius is also the, the the teams that they assemble and you know working with them working with Pedro and um, Judy uh, with Aaron you know Judy and Aaron and Carlos the editors and yeah uh, you know uh, it's it's just it was a very collaborative process and a lot of conversations about the world that we want to create sonically um, because we wanted the film to have its own unique uh, world in the same way that on your end, right? Graphically, it's, it really is has its own unique uh, world. And I think that's really important because then you can tell a story that is uh, enticing and it doesn't feel like, oh, here's another film about this. Right. So there's there's in a way there's a there's a narrative approach in the score, too. And we talked about a lot of the influences music that we all like and and the the different um, uh, inspirations musically. And very early on, I had a a conversation with uh, Kareem. Kareem came to my studio and we talked about um, the data, the the machines, right? All of that. What is is that sound? What is the sound of what's underneath it all? The sound of the engine that makes all of this work. And, you know, I I think I mentioned to you uh, last time we spoke that in the last few years, I've been really getting into modular synthesizers. Yeah. And and uh, so I, I, you know, I showed Kareem uh, my my modular synths and we played around with feeding it certain sounds of social media and what we can do 
and talking about this concept of there's reality uh, and then there's the disintegration of reality. So that was one big thematic approach. Here's reality and what we think reality is. And here is everything that's happening, how it's kind of disintegrating and slowly falling apart in the same way that you and the imagery, you know, made, made reality become pixelated and, and, and disappear into, into the distance. Uh, so that was one aspect of it. Uh, and then another thing that came up for me is the delineation between, uh, you know, humanity and the machine, right? So how can we convey the music, how can the music convey the data and the whole machine? And at the same time, how can we convey the human story? Because without the human story, I mean, it, it really is meaningless, right? I mean, if it's just all data and machines, then who are we and why does it matter? Then we're in some kind of, then we're in the apocalypse already. So very important to delineate those two. And so I chose the modular sense for all of the, the data mm. and I chose more orchestral elements for the human aspects and the human motives. Mm. Um, and then as I, as I started writing themes, I actually noticed that it's not so black and white, right? That most of this is happening in the gray area. Yeah. And so it, and, and it really ends up being that dance between between these two uh, pulling forces of the humanity and the technology and, and this relationship that we've been in for a long time. I mean, since the invention of the wheel, right? Like how uh, this, this intersection of when does technology serve us and when does it enslave us? And so how can the music also go back and forth between um, a, a more positive forward motion of technology, the world we live in that needs it, and then it becomes darker uh, and there's the whole undertow of the darker side of it. Hmm. That's interesting how you approach it too. And it makes sense too, thematically and at the same time, the way that you should kind of construct it too. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And looking at it like that as well, because you do have to consider so many different avenues. And I love the way that you're approaching with sound and music as well, is that you don't want to force the audience to feel something you want them to, uh, like you want to usher them in there, um, with compassion and empathy and don't mm -hmm. think of your audience as somebody stupid that needs to be like drug along because I think that's, mm -hmm. I remember George Lois, I think saying that he said, like, if you make stupid work, you, you think, if you think your clients are stupid, then you make stupid work or something like that. So it's like mm. a self-feeding thing. But, and, and especially in this documentary where when I first watched it, I started throwing blanket thoughts on people and categorizing them. And then they started to unfold and I was like, wait, hold on. And then meeting them in person too. I'm like, wow, it's, this is so much more complex. You know, um, it's so much more complex than you think. You think that you can just put labels on these people. But another thing I was thinking when I was watching it, um, just recently I was like, wow, like, like Brittany's character or herself her, uh, personified underneath the camera. I was like, wow, like what a, what a ballsy life that is, you know, like to be scrutinized mm -hmm. that heavily. Um, mm -hmm. 
it's just wild. And, and all these people, the, from what you can gather from the film, like just willing to kind of throw themselves out there under the bus for certain things. I'm like, wow, like this is crazy. (laughs) I got to empathize with them. I'm like, wow, like, um, it's very dangerous and sketchy and, and weird. Um, but at the same time, um, very important, I think too, which is, yeah, it's really trippy. Yeah. It's just like, you know, weaving all that is really interesting. So. Yeah. I mean, they're very, I mean, the, the characters in the, in the film, um, so courageous and i mean as you just said right and i I really have come to view them as these are the pioneers of the 21st century i mean Mm. these are the this is like we're in the civil war of data and they're they're in the foreground and in the forefront and in the trenches and yeah and and developing for instance uh britney's arc you know i mean mm. there's um, i know i know watching her on screen brings up a lot of different emotions for people for yeah, me it's personally, very complicated uh, very complicated for yeah. me i you know it really forced me to look at at me right and mm. and, and same and 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 who am i and how would i do things and how would i do things earlier in life i mean because today you know i, I do things very differently than i did 20 or 30 years ago and um and yeah so the word integrity and accountability jumped to mind and something that we all have to look at and you know now you know starting this process in november uh and now we're in in you know the end of july i i have developed a very different outlook towards um the different characters in the film and i i feel just a lot of respect and and gratitude you know, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that, that this shift has happened and that, you know, they're fighting this fight for all of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so that's, you know, musically speaking, that's another thing is like when you have uh, character development and arc like that throughout the film and the music has to convey that, um, you know, and I have to say that uh, this process, you know, first we worked on the cut for Sundance and then we worked on the final version for Netflix. So there were a few different iterations uh, of the film, a- a- as you know. Um, and uh, the first thing I did was create thematic toolkits. So different themes for different um, topics or subjects or people. Uh, and I created full mixes and then all different submixes. Uh, and I handed that over to the editors, right, to Aaron and to Carlos. And Aaron and I, this is, I think, the fourth film we've worked on together. So mm. uh, we've worked together for many years and we have this really amazing um, collaborative language. Uh, and then through this process, I also you know, got to work more with, with Pedro. And um, I have to, you know, give a lot of credit to the whole team on how all of this evolved, because... Um, I oftentimes score films where I create themes early on. Uh, but if the filmmakers, if the editors are not good with editing uh, music to picture, that can go horribly wrong. Mm. And in this process, because this team is so amazing, uh, it was just this beautiful flow of back and forth, you know, during this half year, so that by the time picture was locked, uh, the temp music that was in there were the themes that I had written and they were edited to picture. So, be, I mean, Aaron is a master music editor. 
and and it was done so beautifully that you know putting the finishing touches and fine tuning um, was a really cool process for me, and mm-hmm. also to see how the music was used by by the team creatively. You know, because I can certain scenes I scored to picture. And some scenes I finessed what they had done with my music. And it's really cool. You know, it's just like these aha moments of like, I, you know, this is such a beautiful approach, how you made this work in the scene. And I wouldn't necessarily have thought of it that way. So I love the collaborative process when you're working with a team that is just so naturally intuitive and creative and has all the right sensibilities. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it takes an army, and um, there was a small army, I think, here. But in comparison to the like, say, the films that I work on normally, mm. but it doesn't mean that they're any less powerful because it was uh, mm-hmm. definitely um, a lot. I think I think the thing that really resonated with me in regards to just uh, the the efforts that everybody put forth is that there was a lot of um, a lot of patience, and then there's a lot of love. Um, for the subject itself and the importance of the subject, which I think is really important with every project. I try to really analyze what went right, what went wrong, how could it be better? Um, and I, it's, I, I, you know, every project's a film school for me. Um, and again, this is the first documentary that I've been able to work on. So, and I love documentaries. So, um, I just was, I'm like, okay, well, what, what's working here? Why, why is this working so much better than other projects? And trying to understand that, analyze it and really get a grasp on it. So, but I think a lot of it just comes down to core alignment with the right players at the right time and having that really, um, that, that, that focus on making something that is actually going to have substance and and matter and mean something, um, Mm -hmm. which I think Mm -hmm. is really key. So, Mm-hmm. Um, because this could easily, uh, have just become like a, oh, this person's bad. This person's good. And, you know, fuck the world kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. which is, mm-hmm. I think is easy to do, um, because it's like the lizard brains driving the bus here, you know, but it's yeah. not, it's yeah. this movie is, uh, this documentary is very dynamic in a way and it waves through so many different like passageways, I think, uh, of the thought and it gets you to think and empathize and really kind of consider things. And it, and that's one thing I really like. I like that it throws it all up there and says, well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's really important to have that, mm-hmm. that bias, you know, so that you're not just going like that person's bad or whatever. Cause I remember the first time we watched it, my wife and I watched it and we both were doing, giving each other notes and we're like, Oh, what about that? That's kind of interesting. She's pretty weird, huh? Or that's kind of weird mm-hmm. that that happened. And, you know, or what do you think of that? And so it was interesting. And I think it's changed a little bit through the process, at least for me watching it. And then also meeting these people, I got a chance to meet Brittany and I got a chance to meet David as well. And, and just seeing them as people, you know, um, which is what they are, you know? So, um, they're just people that are in certain circumstances, um, dealing with their reality of life, which is really interesting. And to, to our entertainment almost, you know, which is really weird. It's not something mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I like that personally. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but, um, I, you know. I love what you brought up about the lizard, the, the lizard brain, uh, <laughs> because I, I mean, that really landed for me. And I think that that's, that's so spot on because the lizard brain is how we ended here. Right? I mean, that's, that's why we're in this predicament. I yeah. Think. And, yeah. and for us to evolve beyond that and become, you know, 
really conscious human beings who take responsibility and live with integrity, um, I, I do believe that we can we can and need to regulate um, how our data is being used uh, and simultaneously, you know, what's at stake and what's important, most important, I think, is the evolution of our species uh, to a place where we can have an internal navigation system, a moral compass, not in the Judeo-Christian biblical sense, but, a, 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 you know, an internal North Star that can tell right from wrong and, you know, know what is greed and know what, you know, when we're taking and when others are suffering. I mean, we all have innately that capacity to, to distinguish between uh, causing harm and not causing harm. Um, but it's been too easy for a lot of us to not go there. Mm -hmm. And so what is inspiring to me and the, and the characters and their evolution in this film is that because of the circumstances, they have been forced to pick a side. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, and it's starting this real movement towards le legislation in this country that will protect us in the same way that in the EU data is protected. Uh, and at the same time, or that is it? to me, that, <laughs> well, or is supposed to, but at least they have more legislation built in sure. into their charters, right? Yeah. Um, the legislation, I think, is just highly unaware and uneducated in the, on the topic, to be completely honest. I think most people just are yeah. simply unaware. Yeah. yeah. Like and I was. And the awareness has to come from within. I mean, there yes. really has to be, right? I mean, the, the Zuckerbergs of the world... Uh, if they don't have an internal compass that tells them what's happening, then it's very hard to fight that, you know, yeah. with to fight the billions and billions of dollars. Uh, so there's another shift that is happening. I see it. People are waking up, waking up to what it means to be a human being, to be a kind human being, human being that looks beyond his or her just immediate vicinity and has more of a global outlook of what it means to take care of each other. Yeah. And I even, um, to be honest too, with the Zuckerberg thing is, um, to just blame him. It's, it's, it's another problem. It's, it's not him. It's the machine. Um, it's the machine that we feed, you know? So it's like, mm -hmm. it's almost like you're in your car complaining about global warming. It's like, okay, well you're contributing, you know? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and it's, and, and, and with Zuckerberg, I think with all that stuff is, um, it's, he's not really necessarily to blame. We all need to be blamed, but we all need to look at it almost not as a shaming, but almost like let's, okay, we're, we, we kind of put ourselves, we, we, we've all collectively st stepped in a big pile of shit. Mm -hmm. So why don't we all collectively step out of it, clean ourselves off and not step in that again, you know? And I think that's mm -hmm. really <laughs> the thing that I took from it because um, we all know what it's like to thrive and be powerful and want to enjoy life and be grandiose and, 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 and be in say like a, one of his positions, I think, because, um, that's an amazing place to be, you know, to thrive and be like, I oh, look at this thing I made and I'm proud of it. And now I'm a billionaire. And like, that's, that's kind of the American dream, you know, but then when you, put in the ethics of, well, I'm using people <laughs> and yeah. people are, that's when it breaks and that's unfortunate. Right. And that's the problem. Yeah. That's the yeah. conundrum. But I think the thing is, that's really important is to see that we have it within us all. I think that's the trick, you know, and, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. the change that we want is within us all. I, I haven't watched the ending. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I remember the ending kind of changing, I think, as the movie was progressing. So I'm excited to see, because the last time I spoke with Kareem about the ending, he was, we were leaning towards, hey, this it's not too late, which is what I love and I appreciate about him and, and, and Johanna about, about this, you know, Hey, this isn't a, this isn't a, this isn't like Blade Runner, you know, like we're doomed, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> there is a chance and, and, and there is a chance. There's a lot of beauty in the world. And I think just as bad as there's, there are things are going on. There's a lot of really great things as well, <laughs> but our lizard mind that drives our things is triggered by the negativity and the, and it wants to kind of hide away you know, and, but it, but when you do that, you hide yourself from the beauty of the world as well, mm-hmm. which is really mm-hmm. unfortunate, really, you know, if you think about it. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's so complicated. It is very complicated, but I think if anything, if I can just talk about it with the world that I personally impact, which is, let's say, um, everybody listening to this podcast and, um, people that are sharing this information is that, it's just really important for us to be a little bit more self-aware about our indulgences with using technology and ask ourselves whether it's worth it or not. And just be a little bit more educated and understanding of the fact that like maybe we shouldn't be so giving towards these things and also just be cautious about who you give your information to because um, it's, it's being used basically. So, <laughs> and have an original yeah. clear thought, you know, don't let people tell you what to think, think for yourself. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope brother, I agree <laughs> with, with all of that. Yeah. And then I would add one more thing, which is that Please. we need to remember to go within first, you know, because I think so much of this has to do with, uh, our belief that there's not enough and that we need so many externals to find joy. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, the whole premise of Facebook is, you know, that we are hooked, right? We're addicted. Yeah. Yeah. And so unless we really do the, the work to find that okayness within, that joy within, uh, you know, we're just going to get mesmerized by the next shiny thing. And um, that's not new. I mean, it's, uh, you know, this is just the latest iteration of it. But there is this internal work that we all uh, need to do and can do. I mean, that's the thing is it's right there available. I mean, there's, you know, with, with each inhale and exhale, we can center and just be in this place of I'm good. I'm okay. I don't, I don't need to go and check how many people liked me on (laughs) Facebook or Instagram or what it is. Right. I mean, that's, that's where it starts and that's where it ends. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a social conundrum, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, it's really great to be a part of it. And I'm hoping that it does what it needs to do. It seems like it is. It seems like it's causing a lot of uproars and <laughs> issues and a bit of calamity and some interesting things. And But at the most, if, if, if indefinitely, it was funny, like um, a friend of mine said that he had come home and his dad was watching it. And, um, and he was like, Hey dad. And he was like, quiet, I'm watching this. (laughs) (laughs) So it was great because I think that he, I don't think that he, cause he was going to say like, Oh, my friend Ash worked on that. Um, I think that's what he meant to say, but then his dad was like so engrossed in it. So that was really great. Um, Mm -hmm. to hear those kind of things that like, you know, it's be, especially because it's on Netflix and Netflix has such a reach now. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that it really, does create some sort of impact, but I think it's, I hope it's one of the first of many that 
um, ways of, of, of showing people, um, this stuff a little bit more and exposing us to these things, you know, so, which I think is important. So, but it's, again, it's just the way that we interact. And I think, yeah, I would agree too. It's like so much of this is just going inwards with yourself and, and, and not having to use this stuff to find your happiness. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's an element of happiness. It is not your happiness. So yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is important. It's, and I look at it almost like, um, like being able to con- connect and communicate with people I align with. Um, and I enjoy that. I enjoy being able to, and mainly primarily just because like it comes from a place of love, like, Oh, I really love your work. And I just want to know you a little bit more because I admire your work and I want to know what makes your work so special. That's mm-hmm. usually for me, that's my selfish endeavor, but it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not a bad thing. I think that's an okay one. It could be bad if I was like, I want to take all your, all your work and sell it <laughs> and monetize <laughs> it for my own, you know, like then that's an ethical issue, I think. But mm-hmm. yeah, but I don't know. Um, that's kind of how I look at it. But yeah. Yeah. Um, there's was saying, I, I, you left me with this really beautiful gift last time, um, that I've used multiple times and I've referenced it and I've kind of quoted it a couple of times actually, but it, which is the, the excellent strive, not striving for perfection, mm. but for excellence. And I appreciate mm. it. I just wanted to say thanks because mm. Mm. it's helped me out a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you, man. I, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad that landed. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it keeps me alive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Happy. I'm sure happier. Yeah. Much, yeah. Much, much happier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it's a great, like, it's this weird dynamic that works with like, okay, I've tricked my mind, but I'm getting the same result, but I'm not killing myself and fretting hard, you know, which is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is what I feel is so important because so much of it, it's just like, cause I used to just die for perfection. And mm-hmm. then and right when you said it, it was like, Oh, there is another way, but it still works, you know, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. like a compromise, a mental compromise. So mm-hmm. I butchered it for those so that anybody that's listening, we, t- if you need, if you haven't heard the last episode, we talked a bit about perfectionism and you mentioned that you don't strive for perfection, but you strive for excellence, I think was kind of how you said it. And it was like, yeah. I was like, Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Super cool. I don't, I don't strive, strive for perfection anymore Yes, because I used to, and it, it, uh, nearly killed me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. excellent. Excellence is good enough. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I think and it, then I, you know, I think also like, you know, like working with, with the filmmakers on this film and, you know, you know, like working with, with Pedro on, on getting the music in, in great places and that, that, that relationship. And one of the things I appreciated about him so much was also, um, it, not perfectionism, but excellence. Mm. And there's, I think in the creative collaboration, when it comes to, uh, working towards excellence together, but not perfectionism, um, it's just much more humane and, and human and right. And, and, and there's a flow because I think perfectionism is so absolute. Uh, yeah. Nothing can move in it. No, it can't move in it because it's just so restrictive in it of itself because of the construct that it creates, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, the rigidity of it, but it's weird that it's something that I really, it's something that I admire and like, 
cultures. I, I admire that in like Japanese culture, even though I don't know if they're, I guess they are striving for perfection. I don't know if that's the case, but, but then there is a breaking line and it's all the way close to the top and um, mm-hmm. it's really, yeah, it's not good, but excellence I think is really mm-hmm. good. And once you like, I, I looked up the word and I really tried to, you know, understand it a little bit better and a little bit more dynamically. And once I really started to get it, it, it started to really come together for me personally. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a great gift. And I figured, Hey, you know, you need to know that that helped me out <laughs> a lot. And I take that with me and I talk a bit about it and I get that question. I, every um, couple of weeks or so I do these things on Instagram where I just say like, ask me anything. And um, I have sometimes will have somebody ask about like, I don't like my work or I'm not, it's not this and that or perfection. And, mm-hmm. and I bring that up. I said, strive for excellence. Don't strive for mm-hmm. perfection mm-hmm. Um, because like excellence is, is, is obtainable. Perfection mm-hmm. is not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, perfection will keep you, uh, will keep you up at night. And it'll keep you, yeah, it'll just kill you basically. Yeah, unfortunately. And it's your own design too. It's another thing that I love that I learned from Bruce Lee, which is like, I can't remember the exact words, but he's like, we are the one that's in the way, you know, of ourselves. And if Mm. we can get out of our own way, we can actually achieve greatness, you know, which is Mm. so good. So Mm. yeah, totally. Is there, um, I've been listening to quite a, a random array of music. Is there anything that you've been listening to lately that you really are enjoying? Um, you know, I've, uh, it's interesting cause I go through periods, um, of, um, so when I'm, you know, when I'm scoring something, I'm so into the music, hmm. um, that when I finish a project, I go through periods of the thing that I want to listen to most is silence <laughs> and just, how do you, you get know, that in New York? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, earplugs. No, um, it, it, you know, so it's, you know, just going to the park mm. with my dog and listening to oh, the world, the, just the world around me, um, listening to, you know, my Katie, my, my wife, uh, you know, our conversations and just be, uh, be not in the world of music, but in the world of sound and presence. Uh, because I, I, you know, it's very easy for me to get totally hijacked into music. Hmm. It's, um, you know, when I go to a, a restaurant or I'm hanging out with people and music is playing, I don't, I don't have the ability to switch it off. Me neither. I, it, I hate it. <laughs> and and my mind is continuously analyzing in the background what's happening. Yeah. Uh, Progressions you know, and I, stuff. I cannot remember lyrics. I cannot remember lyrics for the life of me. It's Same. just, I am, I'm in awe of people who can remember lyrics, but I can have a conversation in the restaurant and there's a part of me that's analyzing the music and then I can go sit down and play the song. The melody. And, yeah. Yeah. The melody and the, mm-hmm. I, the, I could like recreate it. Right. Yeah. And, and there's a really cool part to it, but there's also this part that is kind of like, can't turn that like, shit off. Yeah. Leave me alone. So that's why, you know, going out and you're even hearing a car honk is like, I like that. Um, but, the, so, but that's, that's the more, more esoteric, um, um, you know, answer. I, I will say that, um, I'm a big Johan Johan Johansson fan. Mm, yeah. Um, unfortunately I, I passed uh, away, I, right? What was that? It's unfortunate that he passed away. Didn't he pass away? It's very, very, very yeah. uh, unfortunate or very sad. I saw him speak, 
uh, at the Society of Composers and Lyricists um, after a screening of The Theory of Everything mm. and uh, it was an amazing score. Uh, and, and he was so eloquent and just, you know, I have a lot of respect for him and his legacy his music huh? yeah. and his legacy. And one one piece of music that I've been listening to and keeps popping up for me is um, uh, called IBM 1401, a user's manual. Hmm. And it's a piece that he wrote earlier on um, in his life, I think, you know, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or something like that. Uh, his dad uh, was uh, working for IBM. And um, so he grew up with all these, you know, IBM computers and peripherals and printers and whatnot. And so basically he wrote this five part uh, piece um, dedicated to that. Hmm. You know, like the, the first part is like dedicated to the processing unit and the second part is the printer and so forth. And it's just um, interesting. It's beautiful and it's haunting, and it also connects to everything we've talked about today, right? Like this intersection between humanity and the the machines we've created to serve us, and mm. um, yeah. So I've definitely been listening to that. Uh, that's 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 a it's a very fascinating piece of music. Mm. Um, and you know, I always go back to the the classical and romantic composers the requiems especially i always keep going back to what's Mozart, that oh the, the requiems oh like the Mozart, main dudes yeah the you know Mozart's requiem and 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 uh, you know foray and um you know the, the just that fascinates me as well how uh, you know a human writes a piece of music towards their end of their life and this is what they are leaving behind as the legacy, especially if there's no, you know, biological offspring. Um, so, mm. you know, and, and they're glorious and incredible pieces of music. So, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know if I've listened to that. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. I, I love, um, yeah, it's, man, those guys, it's, uh, human excellence, I guess, personified. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of excellence there. In all of them too. I was just I'm listening to Jordan Peterson's um, book called 12, 12, 12 Rules of Life or something. It's one of those. Mm-hmm. Let's see what's it called here? I have it in my Jordan B. Peterson, Twelve Rules for Life, um, The Antidote to Chaos or something. It's an interesting book, and he talked about the the idea that there's all of these composers over time but like the ones that we're familiar with are like you know this top four or five basically and even from their plethora of like the johann sebastian bach for example like the plethora of music that that guy created we only are familiar with a small handful so it's just fascinating the level of amount of genius and work and still it's like it's just that those little pieces, you know, like it's mm-hmm. such a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. Um, mm-hmm. That's really crazy. The ones that have stand stood the test of time, basically. And it's also, right. it's also like um, something that makes me think a lot about art itself. It's like, um, and this is something I questioned a lot when I was in college taking art history, which is like we were studying um, Van Gogh and my art in- instructor was just awesome. He was very passionate about the comp- the concepts and the, 
and the, and the subject matter, which makes the class so much better, obviously breathes a lot of life into it. But I would always question, why are we studying these people? You know, like why, mm-hmm. what, what is it that like, why has Picasso stood the test of time? And so much of it with art, I feel is it's the people that they align with and, and convince that they're the ones to be studied. You know, like I know Dali had a, a massive ego and mm. I think that his ego allowed him to be like, I am the greatest, you know, like watch mm. me, look at me. Um, mm. Although he was very great. Um, mm-hmm. But in my opinion, having been an artist my entire life and studied mm. art and seen artists, I'm like, well, I've seen much better in certain mm. capacities, you know, composed and ex- and accelerated piece of, of art. It depends on what you want. It's all subjective, obviously, but um, mm-hmm. there's a level where the subjectivity changes. It's, it's just, I'm going on a tangent here, but it's more or less my curiosity with how be, things become immortalized. Yes. And do you ever think about that? I think about that so much. And <laughs> it's so interesting that you asked that. And, and, and recently I've been thinking about it a lot because this train of thought, what you expressed just now that, you know, this, this, some, some kind of balance between the excellence of work and mm. expression and then the personality right and mm. and what i'm hearing you say is that you know sometimes it's the excellence of the work and sometimes it's personality and then there are other factors that you know propel someone to become you know known centuries later and what and and what is that um and lately more and more on you know social media i'm seeing that excellent it seems to me uh, that excellence of work is no longer it, right? Mm. It, there's, there is a cult of personalities. There's this whole new, <laughs> it seems to be like a whole new career called influencers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's kind of, I'm, I'm totally curious. I'm fascinated by it. Sure. I'm a little horrified by it <laughs> yeah. uh, because, because it seems to be, that whoever can capitalize on the flavor of the moment and do it in the most, you know, colorful, flamboyant, loud way gets to have the most attention right now. Yeah. And those numbers, uh, the numbers seem to speak uh, so much more clearly or they are so much important than what's underneath it right so if someone has two million followers on something then that's what counts and um that's strange it's strange it's it's strange in a day an age where you know never before have we had so much access to music right i mean spotify and all these services it's all you can eat Oh, and, yeah. you know, whether you, you pay the $10 a month or not, you can just listen to whatever. And as someone in the audience, as a listener, that's fantastic. And as a musician, thinking about musicians needing to make a living, mm-hmm. um, you know, you if you have if again, if your numbers are super, super high, uh, then a you might make some money on it. Um but again, I think people go on Spotify and they see, oh, this song has, you know, two million listens and it must be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre. It is it's bizarre. bizarre. Well, and it feeds itself. And that is the same kind of, that kind of thing I was thinking because when I was in art school and I wasn't, I didn't go to art school, but when I was studying art at like my junior college, um, 
I would go to Barnes and Noble. This is back when Barnes and Noble was a bookstore that would like still mm-hmm. was still there. I don't think they have them anymore. And when I'd go in there, all it was is like Van Gogh books. And I was just thinking, oh, it's just perpetuating. You know, a, a publisher needs to sell books. They go with the household name, the guy that cut off his ear, right? And so they have this story and it, like it personifies. The unfortunate thing is he wasn't famous until really until after he passed away, which is the irony of, I think, his story again, which is why it makes him so such a household name. But I think it perpetuates. And I think it's the same thing is that once you amass a certain amount, because I know... Like I have friends who have massive, like millions of followers and um, they're influencers. Absolutely. And that's kind of how it works. But I think it's the same kind of mechanism where once you've amassed a certain amount of numbers, then it kind of connects to that kind of subconscious odd thing. Um, and yeah, there's, I think it's really interesting when people use it. Like, let's say, let's look at like, um, like a Joe Rogan, for example, like mm-hmm. Joe Rogan, uh, he's probably in the best time of his life. It seems like he's got a good marriage and kids and, and, and has, he's surrounded himself with people that are good and he has a good life from what it seems. I, I know friends that know him pretty well personally. So it seems like he's the same person as he is mm-hmm. online. And, but he uses his uh, social, imp- like his way to get out, like not in a we in a bad agenda. I think he's still like this, this example of being really large, um, but at the same time having, um, somewhat grounded, you know? So, I mean, I'm sure people would disagree with that, but I think he is, I think he still is very much who he is, whether you agree with him or not. It's like, he's aligned with that. And, but I, yeah, I listened to his conversations are really interesting because he's able to kind of like thread the line and learn and progress and question himself and question the things around him. And I think we need more of that. And so he's an example to me as like an, an influencer that I think is high, high dynamic and high, high resourceful. And it's why he's is more important. He's like, he's more influential and has a bigger following than Fox news does, you know? So, cause people want authenticity and they want to be, we want to be entertained and we want to feel authentically connected. Um, ultimately I think that's the key. So, but that's always a trick for me. I think it's, um, yeah, it's something I, I think about a lot. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm wondering like, well, Am I going to have any kind of lasting impact on the world around me? Mm-hmm. Um, or do, should I even care about that? You know? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Yeah. I, I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah, totally. I mean, we're t- totally in sync. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, um, you know, K- Katie and I, we decided that we're not going to have uh, uh, children. Mm. And um, I think we are very much at peace with that. I mean, obviously there's some mourning that goes around that decision. Uh, but overall it seems both on a personal note, the right thing to do. And also as far as how we view the world and, you know, what we view the world as needing right now. Um, and we both love kids. I mean, Katie is a speech pathologist and she works with kids every day. She loves kids. And I, so she is a mother in a certain way then she, she is. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And, and that's actually you bringing that up, you know, the, this idea of how can we parent and um, be a mother and father in other ways in our lives. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I grew up on this idea that my legacy has to be um, to, uh, you know, I have to win at least one Oscar and multiple Emmys and all of that. And, oh, it's dangerous. Leave, you know, leave many, many, you know, symphonies and all of this achievement around music and, 
you know, ties back into perfectionism and all of that. And uh, that's the concept I grew up with. Um, or, or, you know, I'm not blaming anyone. It's just like, that's how I understood sure. things need to be. And I've, I've, I've let that go. And, mm. you know, whatever it is that I do is what I do. And that's what I leave behind. Um, and yeah, I mean, would it be nice to, to, uh, be acknowledged in, in our professional careers? Of course, but it's the day to day, you know, how do I treat my wife, my, my dog, my family, um, everyone around me? I mean, that's, I think if, if I think about what we as humans have left behind for you know the future um endless amounts of plastic chemical waste i mean we've left you know there's so much physical stuff we've left behind we don't need to leave behind anything ever again you know we don't need to fill the future with with more human stuff we need to fill every moment with humanity Mm. what, what do i leave behind in the next five minutes I mean, that's really important, but it does require, I think, facing this existential angst that we all have as humans of what's going to happen after I pass away, right? And I think we're so obsessed with that, that we forget that really life is in the moment. We're so obsessed with our past and we're so obsessed with our future that we have destroyed the the now and Mm -hmm. it's not sustainable. So, yeah, I think also for me, the older I grow, the more I think, yes, uh, prizes recognition of course i'll take it as an added bonus but it, that can't be that cannot be uh the, the the process in which i go from this moment to the next because that's i don't see that as being alive and enjoying what's right in front of me that's beautiful yeah i agree uh it's something that i've had to come to terms with as well and it's something that i think it's a yeah, I think it's just how you have to approach it because um, I have friends that have said that same thing where it's like they're validated by other people's impressions of them. And I think that's so dangerous um, because your validation is based off of like opinions of others that you don't know. And it's like that misalignment. If And if you're an artist, which you are, um, your art is not like, it's not like you're a designer. It's like if you're a designer, then all you want to know is the feedback to make things better. But as an artist, you're like, well, this is me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and if you can't accept me for me being me, then I don't know what to tell you. You know, mm-hmm. you either align with me or you don't. And mm-hmm. um, the people that like that's why I, I, it's funny because I've asked and I have a lot of friends and people that are like, oh, do you watch the Emmys and this and that? Like, I've never watched any of those things. Mm-hmm. And they're always like, why don't you watch those? I'm like, and other people's opinions mean nothing to me at that level. Mm-hmm. It just they don't, you know, and. And it's the same thing I would imagine like um, getting awards or something. I've, I've received some and I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. I say thank you and I appreciate it, but mm. I'm doesn't change anything about me. I'm going to continue doing whatever it is that I feel passionate about, which is kind of um, exemplifying what you had mentioned earlier, which is just mm-hmm. living in the moment as much as you can mm-hmm. and focus on what it is that you're doing. And I think when you really are aligned with that, I think that, that really holistically changes your perspective on living. And that's when you really start to, to make the art, if that makes sense, you Mm -hmm. know, at least that's how I feel, you know? So the alignment is so key. 
if you don't have the alignment, then you have a real problem, I think. So but yeah. I love what you just said. I mean, yeah, I mean, I love all of this, but hmm. that like that that's when you start making the art that really lands for me, because then I believe that then there's no delineation between I'm in my studio creating art, creating music right? That's art. And then I go back to the rest of my life. All of it becomes creative, right? It's just, you're, you become like, creative, right? You're I mean, then, body. then making the bed is not a chore. <laughs> let me make the bed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, or, or, or making sure that, you know, my dog is well fed and I'm walking her. I mean, all, it, then it becomes just each moment becomes what I create of my life and there's joy in it. Um, and uh, it's not this or that, right? It's this and that. Now I'm writing music, and now I'm, uh, you know, frolicking with my puppy, mm. um, right? There's really no difference. It's potential personified, yeah, internally yeah. and through and through. It's the yeah. aha moment, I think, and that's when you realize your pure potential. At least mm. I, I, I f- I'm getting glimpses of it. I'm like, yeah, okay, this is what I've been striving for. This is it. Not um, acceptance of others, not perfection. It's actually from within. It's an exception, <laughs> accepting mm. who you are and then mm. and then identifying that weaknesses, looking at weaknesses as um, not as what we would persona, like what I would identify a weakness prior, but more of like it's something that is a it's a beautiful gift of reality of mm-hmm. to show me that I have further to go. Rather than like, rather than be like, I suck and I should get better. It's yeah. more like, oh, like this is beautiful because now I have another part of my life to fulfill, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's another way, like it's, it's this thing that I've been coming to terms with, which is like passing time, like pleasurely passing, passing time. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is like being completely, absolutely stuck in the moment of enjoyment, you know, like yeah. this is so yeah. fun, you yeah. know, like I'm having so, yeah. so much fun with this. Um, and enjoying it, even if it's like, I mean, I don't know. I think so much of what we do is, is manifestation and we have to be so cautiously aware of that part of our lives. Um, this is very applicable mainly to creative people. Um, this advice and these things that we're saying, I think, um, I don't know what it's like to be anything other, so I can't say (laughs) to the latter, but yeah, but But I, I just to respond to that, I mean, but I love like what you're saying about just like, just enjoying in the moment what you're doing, right? And 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 I think that is key. And it, it goes back for me to, you know, this movie, The Great Hack, and and Facebook, and all of this, because I think this this strange idea of expansion that we have bought into as the bar- barometer of success. That in order for us as humans to succeed, we need to always build and expand and expand and expand. And here we are, right? And it's 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 endless. This expanse is endless, and our lives are not better because of it individually or collectively. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, to allow oneself to enjoy the moment, like you just said, I mean, um, it's so precious and it's so important, and it's so it's so there, right? It's so available. Yeah. It's a, there's, there's definitely battles to it, but yeah, I mean, it sound probably sounds to somebody that's listening to this that doesn't have this inner kind of peace and calm. It's like you guys are full of shit. So I would totally accept that, <laughs> but well, I would to, to, 
yeah, to add to to that, uh, if, if someone is, does think that um, I or you or we are full of shit, I have so much darkness. Yeah, exactly. I was going to touch on that because I think it's only yeah. fair to, you know, so. Yeah, of course. We all I mean, have a you passenger, know. you know, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think as just, I mean, who I am, Gil, I've always had this part of me that is uh, dark and, and brooding and feels the, you know, my, my late grandmother used to always say um, in, in German or in Yiddish that I have Weltschmerzen which means uh, the pains of the world. She would, you know, since I was a kid, she would say, Gil, you have, you feel the pains of the world. you like, you carry the pains of the world on your shoulders. Mm. And, and, you know, I think uh, for me, the, the, there's absolute darkness. There are days where I don't want to get out of bed because it just seems, you know, too much and overwhelming and hopeless. And where do you start? Not just about my own life, but just like what's happening in our country and in the world. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah, this is, I'm not talking about some kind of, um, Pollyanna idyllic bubblegum, you know, bubble. <laughs> yeah, Cause I'm I hate when people talking. do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking that because I feel the sadness and the darkness and the emptiness that I do oftentimes, um, A, it propels me to seek the light and the joy because I have to. And B, and in no particular order, also because I recognize that as an individual, I struggle mm. and yet I'm also a white male. I am privileged and I see it as my responsibility to get out of bed and work hard to do whatever I can to contribute to the betterment of our society and our planet because I can yeah. with my darkness, with, with my struggles. They are nothing compared to what most of the planet in other forgotten places are are struggling every day so yeah I'm, i think that's true to everybody too without privilege or with privilege i think it's just being self-aware i think is the key you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and self-aware of thinking beyond yourself and your means and yeah mm -hmm. and not necessarily because i think if you wear things like that as a burden it's also it's like scary for me as well like to think of that like oh wow like that's such a burdensome way you know but it's true but at the same time i think everybody should wear the burden uh, of their own you know which is important so um because there I is agree. so much to do yes. you know yeah Privil it can't, it can't or not. sorry i'm talking over you no it's okay it's okay excited about this conversation. no no it's a great conversation yeah 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 i don't mean it can't become a crippling burden for sure and it can't become about blaming myself for all the struggles in the world for sure yeah that's um, dangerous and, and yeah it's that is dangerous and at the same time just for myself to recognize that you know as a heterosexual white male um born into middle class um with great education um I, I don't know what it's like to be a woman or a person of color or, you know, LGBT, you know, Q or any other person on this planet that has had to deal with um, challenges that I, I just know nothing of. 
Mm. And um, to recognize that, I mean, I'm Jewish. And so I, you know, I do have that part of my history and I did grow up feeling anti-Semitism. And still I, I recognize that having said that I am, I am very privileged. And, and so I want to, um, appreciate that and I want to take responsibility for it and and be a man of action when it comes to that and so like you know scoring a film like this being part of something that does cause change in the world I think it's it is my privilege and my and my responsibility and my duty Um, that's just for me yeah, no, it's great. And I and absolutely everything we say here, I think that the audience is fully aware that these are our own personal opinions, mm-hmm. you know, and our own thoughts and how we process things and how we take in input and, and process them. But it's an interesting dynamic because, um, I mean, I grew up in Hawaii, which is really quite a beautiful place. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, I don't know when I was there, this is just my experience growing up. It was very hard growing up there as a young white boy. Um, Mm, so I, mm. I experienced adversity right away, very instantaneously. So I, that was not privileged there. (laughs) So Mm. I was early on in my development as a child, as a kid, as a young boy, um, into my teens, like I, I was, you know, hated on and targeted Mm. and the, the brunt of things. So when I see it in others or I see it lashed out in other people, it's like, it just sucks. I get it. So, um, there was a kind of a, a blessing to have that at the same time when I was experiencing, I've absolutely hated it. And I'm not making it clear. I'm not saying that all Hawaiian people or people in Hawaii are like that, but it's a general thing there that they're very sovereign and they don't like, um, they call them howlies. You're, you're a white person, you're howly. So like, but it's just your, it's, it's, it was for me, it was very frustrating. I remember going home after school, like just in tears, like frustrated emotionally that like people wouldn't take the time to learn who I was or give me like, they, they didn't see me for anything other than just this, this label that they put on me. And it was very frustrating. So having yeah. that deeper in my, I've gone through that. So I feel like, um, my perception on it is more or less, I don't know if I'm necessarily privileged because it all changes based on what it is that your reality is. So I just look at it as Mm. I'm just a human being and I'm thankful to have what I have, but I actually, I know for a fact that I've manifested the reality in which I live now um, because I could have made it worse and gone off and either killed myself or gone off and done something worse (laughs) or worse, worse in my situation by putting myself in a even worse situation. So um, but I do, um, I'm fully aware. And I think by doing these kind of things, um, having these conversations, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. I'm just touching on the privilege part of it. Cause I'm, it's always very curious. I'm always curious of it too. And I feel like it's definitely something that's becoming more of a part of conversation as we progress. And at the same time, having, um, being inundated with social media and stuff like that. Um, I'm always mm-hmm. questioning that. I'm always wondering like, well, why does that make me feel this way? Or why are people saying that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what is that? How does that relate to me? And, and then how mm-hmm. can I turn that into something that I think feel can be used in a good way, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, cause yeah, when I hear that, I feel like instantly almost sad and ashamed for just being able to live my life, which I've earned, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, which makes me feel, I think that's actually, um, could be very scary because I think that put on the wrong people can turn into like, very bad toxicity when, um, they're, 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 they're told that 
their life that they're working for, they've earned, especially in America is, 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 um, a privilege and that they should be paying respect and all this kind of stuff. I can see that being incredibly toxic <laughs> because they're not willing to, to accept that, that, yeah. as, you know, and I could see that making racism rampant, very bad, very fast, you know? So, um, but I don't know the answer to it either because yeah. And I, and, and nor do I think that I should, because I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I never will. And why should I even consider trying to enter that realm? You know, like, Mm -hmm. um, that's not my job. Um, my job is to be who I am and be the best version, I guess, and lead by example. So, but it's very complicated. Yeah. It's very, it's very complicated. And, and I, you know, I, 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 what I find, uh, hard work for myself and, and important work is to continuously, um, look at, you know, me, Gil, the individual and me, Gil, part of a group. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one can not be not feel privileged. Um, How shall I phrase this? So there are plenty of white males, for instance, who in their own personal lives don't feel privileged because they're struggling and that's valid and suffering is suffering. And I have compassion for that. And yet we belong to a larger group of people. And so it's that, that, that dance between, yeah, taking responsibility for one's own life and celebrating one's own life and one's right to be happy and all of that. And at the same time, how am I part of a larger group? and what that larger group has done historically throughout the ages and how it has impacted other groups of people. Uh, so for me, it's not this or that it's this and that it's both things. And, um, it's, it's, it's really hard and confusing. And, um, for me, I'm seeing the importance of taking the time to sort through that, because I think that's part of my privilege that I've never had to, I've, Mm. I've always, looked at my own life and now I'm seeing how I'm part of larger subgroups who are influencing other people. And, yeah. um, it's, 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 it's vast, right? I mean, it is vast. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a great thing. It's good to be uh, aware of certain things too. And I think it's good to, to use your perspective to help others more than anything. I think that's really the key here. I think it's like, how can we help influence others? And, um, for me, it's like, um, I always see like, there's so much stuff on the internet that's on the lizard brain negative stuff. And so I try not to share any of that stuff if I can. And I just try to share like, this is really cool or check that out. I know it's unbalanced, um, in regards to how I look at it, but, um, or like in regards to just life in general, cause life has ups and downs, you know, we, your, your parents get sick or you have to be at the hospital or deal with trauma or whatever it might be. Those are deep, um, those are deep, uh, human experiences that are true. But at the same time, there's, there's a lot of life that can be great. And if you will it into reality, um, you can have the choice of, of abundance and you can have the choice of brilliance and you can have the choice of amazing, things you just have to will it into reality and i think that's been proven time and again by everybody of all ethnicities ethnicities and genders Mm -hmm. i think it's but if the moment you sit there and say poor me and and blame the world i think that you're actually causing yourself a big problem um Mm -hmm. 
I think that's one thing I'm learning from this book or I'm reading right now is it's not about mm-hmm. seeking happiness. It's about seeking responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the moment you seek responsibility and really charge to own it, I think it really helps. And that's really difficult to face yourself in your own actions responsibly mm-hmm. and say like, Hey, I'm here to take care of this. And by having ownership of your life, you um, kind of connect to who you core, you are at your core, which I think is really quite brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a huge lesson. So, cause I yeah. think, I think the idea of seeking happiness is actually um, almost a problem. It's the same way of seeking um, acceptance and praise and, and, and prizes from others. Mm-hmm. It's like the same mm-hmm. kind of conundrum that you fall into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. so dynamic though. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's cool that you talked about openly too, about um, the negative or the, the dark passenger too, because I think we all, <laughs> we all have that. Um, we have a reaction to things in our life where we're just like, Oh, that's, we label it really quickly with a negative thing or, um, we're in a new situation. So we're, our senses are really high and mm. we're questioning and judging and stuff. So, but I think it's good to also have that, but at the same time is to step outside yourself and acknowledge it for what it is, you know? Mm. So, mm. which is, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the, this is, you know, we are, multidimensional beings and uh you know this is my my light and my shadows they are all what make me who i am and as a human being and then also as an artist as a composer there is no way i could have related to the darker you know uh undertoes of of the great hack or any other film that i score without being able to connect to my own experiences you know it would just it wouldn't work yeah so um yeah i mean i i for a couple of decades i fought hard against it and now i see it as one of my superpowers I, mm, there you go <laughs> i embrace it i think that's great i think that's i think looking at your weaknesses as strengths in the sense of not like oh let's just be happy no it's like okay i've acknowledged what it is i've 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 categorized it now let's use this as a gift let's turn this <laughs> idea into a gift okay like okay, I have a weakness with, let's say you're somebody that has a weakness with food or something like, okay, well, uh, I know that I love food. Okay. That's great. So what it is, what is it about food that makes me sick? Okay. Well, it's this type of food. Okay. Well, how about I figure out a way of limiting that, but like also cherishing it, you know? So it's like taking responsibility and shifting your mind towards not saying like, Oh, well it's, I blame it on craft foods for giving me ranch dressing and I just love it. And then they're the one that are the reason why I'm fat. It's like, no, no, no. You're the reason why you are because you're the one that's eating it. Why don't you take responsibility for it? And I think that's, that's usually what I get at with this is like, okay, we got to step outside ourselves, take it responsibility and then start to use it as a, a way of making our lives better by taking responsibility of it and like really breaking it down. Like, okay, well, how can I make this into something that works really good? And I'm speaking of myself as if I'm at the highest peak of, I have full sleep, everything's right in my life and everything's working, you know, because when it's not, I'm not like this, that's for sure. You know? So it's, it's when I'm, when I'm the best, most exemplary version of myself is when I'm able to interact with these things like that. And that's unfortunate because life will hit you at all angles at all times. So, um, but yeah. Um, damn. Um, I know we have to go here in a minute. Uh, damn, it's, I love our talks. It's why you're on so quickly after, and we, we were supposed to do this podcast anyways, because we, where our film is out. So right. we, we really wanted to talk about it and stuff as well. So, 
Um, is there anything that we didn't touch on? Cause I know we kind of went deep into some, some weird abysses and awesome stuff too, but is there anything that you could have thought of that you were like, oh, I really hope we discuss this on this, on this episode? No, you know, I mean, I feel pretty complete on this conversation. I feel we could have 10 more of these. I yes. love how we, and we should launch in. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I mean, we just jump in and have these conversations and I, I mean, it brings me back to that, you know, night on that mountain where we connected and it just feels like a natural continuation. And I mean, I, I appreciate what you do so much uh, in, in this podcast and that you uh, provide this vessel where people can express themselves on create creativity and life and and also how you inject yourself into it. I, I, I really um, I get a lot from it and uh, I'm, I feel grateful to be a part of it. We're blessed to have you on here and your honesty and openness. And yeah, that was crazy because that was an hour and a half and it felt like 10 minutes. <laughs> I know that's I know. ridiculous. Kind of nuts. We need to make more time for these, but I think that we should just keep our conversations like this going. I think the idea of privilege and the idea of ownership and the idea of reality and at the same time, happiness. And then um, more importantly, just being self-aware. And we, you know, I think that it's ironic that our friendship started from working on a film. That's all about being self-aware. So I think it all kind of makes sense. <laughs> All right, everyone. Big thank yous to Gil for coming on the show and sharing his time with us. I hope you guys all enjoyed that. This is uh, it's just one of those really great episodes that it's just really great to share with you all. If you want show notes for this week's episode, you know where to go. You go to thecollectivepodcast.com. And for this episode, it's collectivepodcast.com slash 211. Um, be sure to check out, if you want to get some merchandise, be sure to check that out on the website at thecollectivepodcast.com. Um, slash store and we have some t-shirts and mugs and hats and all that kind of cool stuff um, everything that you all your purchases and stuff just goes back into feeding the podcast so um, not only will you look fresh and but you'll also be supporting the podcast so we appreciate it to everybody that's been a part of that so we appreciate that um, yeah looking forward to all the new challenges and everything coming up soon um Lots of things going on. So very exciting, very blessed, and just really fortunate to be here. And so I hope you are as well. Go out there, be powerful, be prolific. Peace out, everybody.